5, starting in verse 11. <clears throat> About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Heavenly Father, we... We praise you for who you are, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your love, that we can call you Father. By faith alone, in Christ, your Son, our Savior, believing in that promise of eternal life, we are born into your family as your children your sons, your daughters, born into your forever family with eternal life. But God, we thank you for your love to us, that you want us to grow. You don't want us to remain babes, and you've given us your word for that purpose. And thank you for what we've already read in Hebrews, that it is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness which is what you call us to that we might no longer be children but your adult sons and daughters that we would be complete and equipped for every good work and so Lord we thank you for your word this morning I pray that you would open our ears to it remove distractions, that it is a source of blessing and challenge that we might grow by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, special thanks to Paul Valdez for preaching for me last week. I got to spend all weekend with the Immerse group, which was amazing, but I also paid for it all week. Uh, being worn out. I'm old, apparently. Um, being sick and worn out all week. But man, it was an amazing time with the youth last week. And, and Paul last week brought to you this message about the great high priest and how Jesus is going to be for us 
this great high priest. And we're going to dive right back into it next week. But the author of Hebrews here kind of hits pause. Right? He hits pause on the flow of the book in order to give us a warning. So I want to give you a warning. All right? This is a sermon for mature Christians only. All right? Just giving you a warning because this passage that we're talking about today is a passage, if I'm going to be honest, most pastors skip this passage. They're not going to preach this one on Sunday morning because um, this is tough, especially uh, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 are some of the most hotly debated topics in Scripture. Can you lose your salvation? That's the question. Not, not is God going to let go, but can you jump out of his hand, right? And so we think about how would you answer this question? Can you lose your salvation? Now, I would definitively say no. You cannot lose your salvation, right? And, and it's taught all over Scripture. For example, let me give you a couple examples of it before we dive into our difficult passage. So go to John chapter 6. We've read this Scripture before, but it layers in so beautifully to everything we're talking about today. So John chapter 6, right? Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's gone across the lake, and he says, So they said to him, Then what sign... Do you do that we may see and believe in you? He just fed the 5,000 people. But anyway, um, what work will you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness, as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Keep that in the back of your mind. Right? Just kind of keep that back there. All right? Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread also. And then he answered, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you, and you have seen me, but you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I, will come, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the third day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the third day. What does Jesus say right here? I will not lose any that God has given me. Do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus is lying and that we can lose our salvation? Or do we believe that this is the truth? And Jesus himself is saying, whoever God gives me, I'm not going to lose him. I'm going to be like, hey, where's Eric again? I thought he was a believer. I don't, I don't know where he went. Where did he go? He, where is he? That's not how Jesus works. Right? Jesus keeps those. He says it again. Same kind of idea in chapter 10 where he says, I am the good shepherd. Right In chapter 10, um, he says this. He says, starting in verse 24, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Did you notice the kind of parallel? If you're really the Christ, tell us. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you would not believe. Like, look, I've told you, I've shown you. You still won't believe. It says, The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I have, given, I have given them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I 
and the Father are one. And, and we could go a lot of places. Philippians 1.6 talks about how he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We could go all over scripture and it says that once you are saved, God will preserve you in that. And I know once saved, always saved is not like a biblical quote or, or perseverance of the saints is not a biblical quote. Um, but they're taught all throughout scriptures. And this is important for us to have kind of in the background because many people are going to use our passage today in Hebrews 6 to say that, no, no, that's not right. You can lose your salvation. So let's dive into it. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be flipping all over the place today, but you guys are used to that. So um, chapter, 11, or chapter 5, verse 11. About this, we have much to say. Now, I know, we didn't get very far. Right? But about this, we have much to say. In other words, what the author is going to say, he's taking a pause because he wants to teach them about all these things that have been going on. Remember uh, last time it said in verse 14 of chapter uh, 4, since we have a high priest who has passed through all the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. So he wants to continue on this phrase, but he can't. He can't because something's happened to them. They're not quite right. And something else I want you to remember, if we flash back a little earlier, we had a, we've had a few warnings, remember, through the book of Hebrews? Where he's kind of warned us about things. The last time we heard this warning was back in chapter 3 and verse 7. Where it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Right, and then talking about the Israelites. So what we're going to see in this warning is a continuation of this. Remember, context is vital. Anytime we talk about a difficult verse, what's the context of what's happening in those verses? So he says again, about this I have much to say, but it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So what does he tell them? I want to tell you all this stuff, but you're not listening. Anybody have that struggle before? Like there's a lot of reasons we don't hear people, right? One of them is distractions, right? Guys, how many of us struggle with this? Football season. The game's on, right? Huh? Yeah, babe. What? Huh? Right? Or even Tara has to do this with me on the phone, right? Where I'm on the phone and I'm still watching something while she's talking to me. She's like, hey, um, are you still there? Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry. And I got to turn it off in order to focus, right? Or here's another reason we don't hear. Something, there's something louder in our ear. Right? Maybe we have headphones on and we can't hear. Or maybe there's voices in our head that don't allow us to hear God. Maybe it's trauma, maybe it's lies spoken over us by people that are evil and wrong. There's a lot of voices that go on in our head that make us unable to hear God. Here's what we're going to do. Turn down that volume and turn up the volume of God's word in your life. Let God speak over you more than the world speaks over you. Right? We, need, we need to get, if we want to really truly hear God, we've got to tune out, let him rewrite our history and focus on what he's doing in our life. But there's another reason, if we're honest, the reason we don't hear people is because we don't want to hear them. I mean, we don't want to hear God. We don't want to hear him say, hey, you need to leave this behind and you need to go towards that because we really like this. We really, really like it. 
we feel like it's a part of us. And we're scared, what would I do if I didn't have anger to protect me? What would I do if I didn't have pornography to run to? What would I do if I didn't have alcohol to run? What would I do with that? I wouldn't even know what I would be like. And we're scared and we really don't want to hear. So what happens, we put something in between us and the truth that God wants. It's hard to hear someone through the wall, isn't it? It's hard to hear someone through a slammed door. So the question is, have you slammed the door on God? Or is the door open? Are you ready to hear God speak of your life? The, the, the people in this book, the people that this book is written to, they don't really want to hear. Look, look what, how he describes them. Next, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone else to teach you again the basic principles and the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, and those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Here's a sign of maturity. And you take the word of God and apply it to situations and say, that's good and this is bad. Sign of maturity is you know the word well enough that you can discern good and evil in that. A sign of immaturity is a child who's like, ooh, that stove looks really hot and fun. Right, that's bad. That's not smart of them, right? By the way, did you notice kind of the tone of this warning? It's kind of harsh, right? I mean, can you imagine me going up to one of you, going to Eric Dean and going like, Eric, I was going to cook you a steak, but I brought a bottle for you instead, buddy. Ooh, ouch, right? Ouch, but that's what he's warning. He's, he's being, maybe hyperbole here, but he's being strong with them to realize, listen, you got to be careful. You're on the edge of not even being saved. You're on the edge of not knowing whether or not you really know Christ or not. You're on the edge of what's called apostasy. Everybody heard that word before? You're on the edge of renouncing or rejecting faith. Rejecting it. Outright saying, no, I refuse to believe in Jesus. Because if we're honest, if we were to think about churches all over the United States and all over the world today, there's a lot of different types of Christians in churches, aren't there? Like, for example, there's some people in this room that are new believers, and praise the Lord. We're rejoicing with you like the angels in heaven. You're starting this walk with Christ. That's amazing. So excited to walk along. Some of us are, are spiritual grandpas, all right? I'm a spiritual grandpa. That means that I have spiritual children that then have made disciples and made disciples and made disciples, right? Chupapa, that's my grandpa name, right? Like Chewbacca, but Chupapa. All right, so I have lots of... Spiritual, we call them youth grandbabies, right? We have a wall in our house, thanks to my wife, um, of all these little youth that have had babies that we get a chance to disciple. I'm so old that I had a youth that had a child and had a youth that went all the way through youth ministry with me. That's old, okay? But that's leaving a legacy, right? There's some of you in this room that you're discipling others that are discipling others, and that's amazing, right? There's some of you um, in here who are struggling with your walk with Christ, and that's okay. We want to walk alongside you in that. There's some of you in this room that you don't know Christ. Right? And you're like checking it out. And you're trying to see, well, what's going on today? And this is a tough day to come for the first time. This is like a really challenging sermon to go through, right? And so, but do you know what? There's one thing. Some of us in this room, we go to church because we like the music. And because our kids get something out of it. Because we get friends. But you don't know Christ. You're on the edge 
but you haven't fully stepped over. You're scared of what's down there. Now, I know the hospital's down there if I jump on the stage right now. But if you, if you had to step in to that relationship with Christ, would you be willing to do that? Are you willing to go all in? Are you willing to surrender your life to Christ? Or are you like, I'm ready to go. Oh, no, 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 man. That's too hard. That's too hard. Oh, the music's so good. I just feel God moving. But wait, I don't want to get too close to the edge. And this is the audience of the book of Hebrews. Remember, the audience of the book of Hebrews is this group of people that are struggling with, do I really step into the Jesus as the Messiah? No, 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 the law. i gotta, I got to have these washings. i got to do the law. i got to have this Sabbath day. i have all these different things. And then, Yeah, but Jesus, those miracles he did, healing the blind man, born from birth. No, 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 I can't jump in. And they're struggling with going back into this life of Judaism. Remember back in Hebrews chapter 3, we have this kind of key verse, I think, that needs to be, over everything we're talking about. It says this in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So some of the people in this audience are, have an evil and unbelieving heart. And they're falling away from the living God. We're going to talk in a few minutes about falling away from God. And this same idea. So take the plunge. Don't, don't be on the edge. It's kind of scary to be on the edge. Anybody try to do a cliff dive into water before? The longer you stay on the edge, the scarier it gets, right? I, I don't do that. If I'm going to jump, it's like, okay, I'm starting back here. It's long jump time, right? Because if I look over the edge, I won't go. I'm like, I just kind of close my eyes right here and I just go for it. Just launch, right? That's what I encourage you to do with Christ. Are you ready to jump in and be with Christ, right? So that's kind of the background for where we're going. Let's keep going. So verse 1 of chapter 6, we're going to see him start laying out this discussion. Therefore, let us leave. So you're immature in Christ. Therefore, let us leave the elemental doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of, and he's going to give us five different foundational beliefs that the Jewish people have. Okay? Here's the first one. A foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. The idea of this is Christ plus something, right? That some people in our world, they think, well, I need to have Christ, but I also have to do this, 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 right? When it's by faith alone, we're saved. By grace, not by yourself, but a gift from God. Not by works so no one can boast, what Ephesians 2, that was a kind of a butchered version of it, but um, 2, 8 and through 10 says. So yes, out of our love for Christ, we do things, but our works don't save us. Christ alone saves us, right? So we, we don't need to keep laying that foundation. We know it's Christ alone. It's not works. Then he says this, and instructions about washing, about ceremonial washings, even baptism. Remember John the Baptist when he was baptizing, right? It was a baptism of repentance. I sinned, baptized, dunk, come back up. Oh, no, I sinned again, baptized, dunk, right? But Christ has given us baptizes with water and the Spirit. So our sins are forgiven, past, present, future. We have freedom in Christ. We're set free. We don't have to be a slave to the law anymore to run back to it. Right? We can be free and be free indeed. That's the good news of the gospel. And we don't need to have one of laying on of hands. This reminds me of the book of Acts where Peter was laying hands on them. They were receiving the Holy Spirit because they had only been baptized in the baptism of John. Those two things in this passage linked together. The resurrection of the dead. There, there were Sadducees, right, in this crowd who didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. 
And they would just argue, well, how could Christ give you eternal life? Because when we die, we're just done. I mean, if that was the truth, we're, we're, we're to be pitied beyond all people. Because we believe that God has given us eternal life in him. That death is just a transition to even a better life with Christ in that. Right? But they have this argument about whether there's a resurrection from the dead. These simple things. And the last is this. An eternal judgment. They're having discussions about heaven and hell and eternal judgment and those things linked together. Do we get resurrected? If so, where do we go? And all these elemental things and they're missing out on more important things. We can get so caught up in, in VBS Christian talk that we never move on to maturity in Christ. And he's warning them against that. And, it, and this we will do if God permits. So he's going to move on. And here's the warning. And this is a difficult passage that people struggle with. And I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll comment on it. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the glory of God and the powers of the age to come, then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. That it's impossible for those who have done this checklist of things to come back to the Lord if they reject him. Okay, so does this mean then, does this list of things describe a Christian? In other words, here's the real question in this verse, in verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who, who is the who? Who are these people? I want to make an assertion to you that these people that he's talking about are the Israelites. In fact, this is the reason that we've done the book of Exodus and then we came into the book of Hebrews. Because consistently through the book of Hebrews, the author has used the Israelites as this example. Remember back, we read it earlier, the context, right? Don't harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. And, or else you won't enter into his rest. Okay? So let's look at these Israelites and see if this list of things could apply to the Israelites. Let's look at the first one. For it's impossible in the case of those who, the Israelites is what my, my assertion is to you, who have once been enlightened. Have the Israelites been enlightened? Had they been brought the light of God is what this word means. Well, yeah, they were led by a light. In the wilderness, they were set free from Pharaoh and from slavery, and Jesus set them free in order to see the light of God. They saw the fire of God on Mount Sinai where he gave them the law. They've seen the light of God. It's been their guide and their lead through this process. Who have tasted the heavenly gift. What could that refer to? The manna that's fallen from heaven. Do you remember what happened in John chapter 6 we read earlier? Should give us manna from heaven. Just like the Israelites. That was a major event of God's provision for them. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. Wait, did the Holy Spirit work in the Old Testament too? Has the Holy Spirit always been God? Well, in fact, if you remember back to Exodus chapter 31, they've just gotten all the things for um, the tabernacle. And then we did this one series on Aholiab and Bezel, right? And you're like, why are we doing a whole series on some craftsmen. That's kind of weird. In fact, it was in Exodus 31 that that actually started. But look at, let's look, go back and look at that passage again, and maybe you can see why we did one just on craftsmanship. Right? This is Exodus 31. Here's how it starts. It says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Behazel, the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. 
and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. So Behazel, Aholiab, they were filled with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze and in cutting stones and in carving wood to work with every craft. So Aholiab and Behazel, they've been given gifts by God in order to craft the things for the tabernacle. Do you remember the things in the tabernacle? The lampstand which screamed, Jesus is the light of the world. The showbread table where the bread of life was. The mercy seat where Christ was going to once and for all pay for all of our sins. All these things tied together, the Holy Spirit enabled them. Not to mention, he spoke through the prophets. Not to mention, all the other times in Scripture, the Holy Spirit himself worked in the Old Testament. The Israelites experienced God in this way. Look what it says next. And they have tasted the goodness of the word of God. Now, when we hear this, we think the word of God, logos, right? The same word that would show up in John 1, right? When in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But this, this isn't the word logos here. This is the word for speech. It's rima is the word that's there. They've heard the speech, the voice of God. Was that true about our Israelite friends? Did they hear God speak from the mountain, did they hear God speak to Moses? They got to hear the voice of God. From a burning bush, Moses got to hear the voice of God. And then it says, and the powers of the age to come. Has there been a generation that's seen more power than the Israelites? Plagues coming out of heaven, seas opening up, bread falling from heaven, water from a rock, all these incredible things. And yet, when they got to the promised land, what happened? They fell away. In fact, let's, let's read about it. Back in Numbers chapter 14. They fell away. And let's see what God's judgment was upon them. Remember, the spies came and they deceived all the people. And it says this in verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who had seen my glory... My signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. You remember in the Exodus series, we had a list of ten different times they had grumbled against God, and, and the water, and the manna, the sea, and uh, ten times they're like, I want to go back to Egypt, right? All those different times. And uh, they still got to the promised land, and they fell away. And they're not going to get to see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which we, he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amicalites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So God says Caleb gets to go, Joshua gets to go because they have a different spirit. But even Aholiab and Beazael, they don't get to go. Even though they experienced the Holy Spirit's work in their life, they don't get to go in the promised land. The rest promises them. We talked about that in the book of Hebrews as well. We want to enter into his rest. So he gives us this warning. But you know what? Just like the Israelites, we wander. And after this, what do they, what do, they do? Oh, no. We want to go back. For example, parents, is it different to you when your kids come and they're like, 
Dad, I'm so sorry. I really messed up. Can you help me? Um, I, I've been doing this, whatever this is. Is that a better heart than, uh, hey, son, we need to talk about this. Oh, Dad, I'm sorry. Is the difference in sorry when you get busted or when you come ahead of time? There's a difference when all of a sudden everything is falling, everything is falling down and now I want to do the right thing. Because look what happens next in Numbers. Right after this, Moses tells them the word here in uh, verse 39. When Moses told these words to the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning. And they went to the heights of the hill country saying, here we are. We'll go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, why now are you transgressing the command of, of the Lord when you will not succeed? And they're like, no, we changed our mind. We're not scared anymore. And they run in the promised land and they get crushed by the first army they come to. And they run away with death and fear and they've gotten plundered in this thing. Why? Because they retroactively tried to obey God instead of obeying him in the moment. And once God's wrath had been poured out on them, they couldn't return. And that whole generation lost a chance to go into the promised land. God was faithful to their kids to bring them into that rest. But the question and the warning for us is this. At what point do we turn away and not come back? At what point are we on the cusp? We've seen God move. We've seen these incredible things happen. But we're unwilling still to give our life to Christ. That means we're slowly hardening our heart and not hearing and not seeing and not recognizing God at work. And that's a scary place to be. Right? Well, here's what it says again in that Hebrews passage. It is impossible for those who have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Whew. It's tough. And you know what? The Israelites aren't the only examples of this that we've seen, right? We, remember Judas and Peter. Both of them did things against Christ, right? Judas sold Christ out for 30 pieces of silver, and they ended up costing him his life. Where Peter denies him three times, but his heart comes back to the Lord, and he's, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And he's restored again. His heart was for God. Was Judas's heart ever for God? In fact, there's this interesting passage. The first sermon I ever actually preached at Fellowship Church, which was like 14 years ago, back in Negley Elementary School, Jonathan Leftwich went on vacation when I had to preach through this passage, Matthew 7, all right? I think he just didn't want to preach this passage because here's the first passage I ever preached on. Okay, listen to this passage. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Then he, then I, he will declare, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, Judas, he was one of the 12 that went out two by two and saw demons cast out. He saw people healed. He saw all those things, but his heart wasn't for Jesus, and he sold him out. See, you can experience God in all these ways, but are you really going to surrender? Is your heart for God? We see Jacob. We see Esau from the Old Testament. Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of soup, and yet when he loses out on the actual blessing, he comes back with tears, but he can't get it. 
Let's not wait till the future to make our relationship with Christ real and right. Let's do it now. Let's step into that. Let's step off the cliff. Give our heart completely to the Lord. Trust him. As Romans 10 talks about, right? If we confess with our mouth that he is Lord and believe in our heart, we will be saved. It's not just enough to come to church. We've got to get real. And that's what this warning is in Hebrews 6. Let's not be like little children. Let's not be like these people getting warned here. And he finishes up with this interesting analogy, okay? Look at verses 7 and 8. We'll close up with this. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it. So there's these two fields, okay? There's a field over here planted. There's seeds in the ground. It looks the same as this field over here planted seeds in the ground. And by the way, this means that I can't judge your salvation. On the surface, it all looks the same. You can't judge my salvation. On the surface, it looks the same. And, and it doesn't really matter, does it? What are we called to do as Christians? To love one another. What if you're my enemy? I'm supposed to love you. What if you persecute me? I'm supposed to love you, right? What if I have to make a defense with gentleness and respect and love you, right? So it doesn't matter what people's hearts are like. We're supposed to treat them and love our neighbor as ourself, right? But in our own heart, we got to be real. When the rain comes, look what happens to the first field. It produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated and receives a blessing from God. That when the rain comes, it produces fruit. It produces even more seed, right? 30, 60, 100-fold. This is the good soil. Is your heart good soil? And when the word lands in it, it produces fruit. When the rain comes, how do you handle it? When the hard times come, do you handle it by making fruits of righteousness or do you handle it with fear and thorns and thistles? Because this other ground over here, it says that, but when the rain comes here, it bears thorns and thistles. It is worthless and near being cursed and its end is to be burned. We don't want to be this field, right? We don't want out of our mouth to come thorns and thistles, we don't want out of our life to come things that are going to entangle other people and pull them away from the living God. We want to produce good fruit. So the only way to know how to do that is for us to get right in our heart with the Lord. Whew, stiff challenge, isn't it? it that's, why these, that's why people skip over these verses. Because it's a challenge to us to go, whoa, is my heart right with God? And so I'm going to pray, and then we want to give you a chance to respond in your own heart. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, even the tough sections of it that challenge us and, and stretch us. Lord, I thank you that we have eternal security in you. And Lord, our faith is not based upon my, even me, but Lord, you have done an incredible work. So Lord, I thank you for that. But Lord, I pray that today that we won't stay the same, that we'll progress down the path to grow more and more like your son, Jesus. So help us as we take some time to pray and take some time to respond uh, today, Lord, to get our hearts right with you so we can face a world that needs the light, face a world that needs the hope of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us get our hearts right with you in your name. Amen. So one of the things we want to do is this, we're going to sing a song called Run to the Father, just to remind us that where our focus is and where we want to run to. But if you need prayer, right, if you need to get right with the Lord in some way or you just need help in some way that we can really pray for you. We're going to have Chad and eventually Rudy up here in the front um, to be able to pray with you and talk to you um, as well. And I know it's up in the front. You'd be like, what? Can I go up there? But listen, if you want to get right with the Lord, 
we're not going to do it in the back somewhere. We're, we're going to do it in front of your fam, right? Let the family pray for you and to seek after you. The people in this room are going to love you through that process. So don't be shy about coming up. If you need prayer, let's get right with the Lord today. So, um, Jonathan, can you lead us in that? We're going to take some time to do a heart inspection. And so um, I'm just going to let Daniel play a little bit. So your time with the Lord isn't being distracted by my voice or a song. And so um, we're going to play a little bit. And, and, and then we'll start singing this, this song, this plea for the Lord. But take a, take a moment, inspect your heart, and, and let, the Lord, let the Lord speak to you.
because in you is life in you is purpose and fulfillment forgive us God we would run to something else we would believe a lie there is something else out there that can fix what is broken in us God we run to you thank you Jesus for being a God and a Savior that we can run to thank you Jesus his name, amen. Um, I'm going to leave you with a verse, and then um, if you wanted to stay and pray, that's totally fine. Daniel and I will keep playing um, in the background. But this verse, Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. For today, tomorrow, through eternity, and it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Every day it's Jesus. Church, we love you so much. You're dismissed. Mm -hmm.